Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 42, Wind and Confusion. First of all, I want to say thank you to those who have been sharing the episodes with your friends and family and passing them along. I really, really do see it reflected in the numbers that I see. And last week we had our highest week ever, which was so fun for me. I really like to think about how the Lord is hopefully responding to my sincerity and my uh, sincere desire for this just to reach anyone who might be helped from it and who might need the kinds of things that I say. I think I'm probably not for everybody. I think that maybe for some people, I'm a little too harsh or whatever. You know, every single podcast isn't for every person. So I hope that those who are listening are getting an uplift and getting that added motivation they need to stay close to the Lord. And that this podcast can be one of those things that can help keep just someone, anyone close to the Lord during these hard times where President Nelson tells us that it will be hard to spiritually survive. And so when I see those numbers go up, I just it just makes me think that there's an even bigger chance that this is truly affecting people who are listening to it. And and I see in your response that you're enjoying listening to it and that it is touching your heart because you are sharing it. So anyway, kind of rambling, but thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to me. And it also helps motivate me to continue to spend time doing this, to continue to to take time away from, from my family kind of in the evenings. Um, usually I just do one evening a week, but, and to study this because it benefits my family, but also because I can see through the response that it is hopefully helping someone. So thank you. All right. So this week's section sections of the Doctrine and Covenants is section 71 through 75. And I am going to be focusing on section 71. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about in section 61, the revelation that was given on the banks of the Missouri River. Joseph Smith and a group of elders were traveling back from Missouri up the Missouri River and things got heated. I personally, maybe maybe someone out there knows what exactly they were arguing about. I'm sure there's records, but I don't know. But they got heated. And in the revelation that they were given on the Missouri River or on the banks of the Missouri River, the Lord chastened them and then gave them guidance about what they should do moving forward on their journey. So how this relates to this week is section 71 is a response that the Lord gave Joseph Smith after he inquired about how to deal with someone who was on that journey and hadn't been able to let go of some of the feelings that he had toward the church and toward Joseph Smith. And in response to those feelings, had started to write articles in local newspapers against the church and especially casting Joseph Smith in a negative light to the, the members and to the surrounding community. So that person was Ezra Booth, and Ezra was successful in leading away some people from the church and also stirring up unfriendly feelings in the surrounding community. I can imagine that this probably was a source of stress and emotional turmoil for Joseph as the attacks were personal and he he was only human. But more importantly, the attacks were resulting in people leaving the church and hindering the efficacy of missionary work in the area because of these articles that he was writing. What would be the natural human response here? I think when you're attacked, when someone is spreading lies about you or something that you care deeply about, what is your natural first tendency? I think for most of us, it would be to defend and perhaps argue, maybe get angry. It's natural 
to want to prove that person wrong. So what I like about this section is it shows us what the Lord's response is to an attack on his church and his prophet, and it also shows what he expects our response to be. Verse 1, Behold, thus saith the Lord unto my servants Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon, that the time has verily come that it is necessary and expedient in me that you should open your mouths in proclaiming my gospel, the things of the kingdom expounding the mysteries thereof out of the scriptures according to that portion of the Spirit and power which shall be given unto you even as I will. So something to note here is that the reason that Joseph Smith was with Sidney Rigdon is because they were continuing to work on the translation of the Bible. And in asking this of them in this section, the Lord is telling them to put that aside for the moment and that they need to kind of go on a mission and try and preach the gospel and repair some of the damage that had been done. And I saw another girl who does come follow me. Her name is Callie Black and her Instagram handle is come follow me study. She does some really great workbooks and things like that. She's awesome. Um, she said, sometimes we have to pause really good things to take care of what matters most. I think we can all relate to that where we're doing something really good. We're doing something really productive, really righteous or whatever you want to, to call it. But something else comes up that we didn't expect. That is not a situation that we like or is messing with our other plans. And we have to put the good thing down the thing that is still important and is still good and is still from God, put that down momentarily and go take care of something that matters more. I think that that's something that I think of as relating to our ministering efforts. We all have busy lives. We all are doing really good things, really, really important things. But I think we should all be willing when somebody else needs help. And I think a lot of us are. When somebody else needs help to put down the thing, the important good thing that we are trying to accomplish and be willing to interrupt our lives and go do something that matters more in the moment. And one thought I have when I think of those kinds of things is most of us, I think most human beings, when you see an emergency like, you know, a car crash or you know, somebody hurt in some way or somebody's like weeping in front of you, of course, you're going to drop whatever you have going on and go help that person, go be there for that person. But usually those kinds of needs, when someone really needs you, a lot of times it's not going to be that visible. So that's where we need to keep praying to the Lord that we will notice and seek out ways we can help other people live and stay close to the Lord. And something I pray for often in my own prayers is to have the ability, have the awareness to notice, notice when other people could use my help. Because a lot of times, I think this is something that I very actively struggle with, is I get so wrapped up in what I'm doing and what my family needs that I might, I think I often might miss when someone else could use my help and when the Lord would use me if I was paying enough attention to notice that he would use me if I, if I was following those promptings and if I was close enough to the Spirit to hear him communicating with me, telling me that that person needs me. Now, of course, there's always balance and we all need to have boundaries of some kind, but that's where the spirit comes in handy. Heavenly Father knows 
what is most important for your for each of your actions every day. And so when we're staying close to the spirit, when we're asking for active guidance and we're following through with that, we're going to know what is most important for us to pay attention to at that time. And sometimes that's going to be our own personal lives and our own personal efforts and our our family. And sometimes we might need to put that really good thing down to pay attention outside of our own little bubble. Okay, kind of got off on a little tangent side note over there. So to continue talking about verse one, first and foremost, the Lord uses one of my favorite phrases that has occurred several times in the scriptures as we've talked about it in this podcast, which is open your mouths. That was the title of one of my episodes a few weeks back. We have learned from President Nelson that the Lord loves effort. And in reference to speaking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the command given to missionaries in the Doctrine and Covenants is to open your mouth in proclaiming the gospel. That phrase feels impactful to me because when I read it, it feels like it implies that not a whole lot of planning and forethought is needed when we're guided by the Spirit. When I open up my my computer program, to record this podcast, I usually say a prayer before I start. And one of the things that I pray is that I have these things planned to say, like I, I have my notes I'm and I'm following my, my outline, but I pray that the Lord will speak through me and that as I'm opening my mouth, that I am not so committed to saying exactly what I've written, that I miss opportunities to just open my mouth and say whatever the spirit puts into my heart. The most important thing that the Lord needs us to do is just to open our mouths in testimony and the Lord will guide us on what to say and how to do the rest. He promises Sidney Rigdon and Joseph that a portion of the spirit and power shall be given to them. And the same applies to us. Fearlessly opening our mouths in testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ entitles us to a portion of the spirit and the power that comes with it. After Ezra Booth's articles, Joseph wasn't told to go out and defend himself and go through the articles point by point and let everybody know everything that was wrong in the articles. He was just told to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was told to open his mouth and show the people what he and the church were really about. The Lord does not need us to defend his doctrine. The doctrine speaks for itself. Truth speaks for itself. Bruce R. McConkie explains, you'll never debate someone into the church, even if you have a dozen logical arguments on your side. Intellectual things, reason, and logic can do some good, but conversion comes and the truth sinks into the hearts of the people only when it is taught by the power of the Spirit. I think that that's one of the hardest things for our pride and our ego to grasp. When testimony, truth, and the Spirit aren't enough to convince someone of the truth of the gospel, we tend to desperately grasp at contention fueled by frustration because we just want them to see what we see. But the Lord shows us here in his response to this situation that that is not an effective tool that we have at our disposal. Verse 7, Wherefore, confound your enemies, call upon them to meet you both in public and in private, and inasmuch as ye are faithful, their shame shall be made manifest. Wherefore, let them bring forth their strong reasons against the Lord. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, There is no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And if any man lift his voice against you, he shall be confounded in mine own due time. Wherefore, keep my commandments. They are true and faithful. So at the beginning of the section, Joseph was commanded to go proclaim the gospel and expound the mysteries of the scriptures with the Spirit. 
And then at the end, he's promised that if he's faithful in those things, that their argument shall not ultimately prosper, but in the Lord's own due time, which is always the tricky part. We tend to want immediate satisfaction. The Lord, however, doesn't need immediate satisfaction. Immediate satisfaction often isn't ultimately productive in the Lord's own due time. So we need some patience there. I think that there is a lot of hope in that insight that we are given into how the Lord works. I know that we all have people in our lives that we are worried about, whether that be choices that they're making or directions that they are choosing to move their lives that don't include remaining in the church. I have people in my life that I care very deeply about that have decided that they don't believe in the church or even God. The hope that I find in the scriptures is that the truth will be made known unto all in the Lord's own due time. I know that me arguing with these people and berating them with reasons why I think that they're making a mistake is ultimately not helpful. I know that any plan that I could ever come up with to help them return to the Lord could never possibly compare to whatever plan he has prepared to try to gather them. I also know that they have agency and might not choose to be gathered. But because I trust the Lord and whatever plan he has got, I know that he will guide me to know the precise time, the precise way that my testimony of the gospel and the accompanying power promised can have the greatest impact, the greatest chance of softening their heart enough to be able to feel the influence and witness of the Holy Ghost. When it comes to your loved ones, trust the Lord. That doesn't mean do nothing, but allow him to work through you by doing as he asks in this section and remain faithful to his call to bear testimony. This is one of those hard things in life. When something is so important to you, when you are worried about someone you love, it is hard not to concoct our own plans, which often, unfortunately, are influenced by our own egos. Trust him. Trust him to help you know when the right timing is, what the right words are. Be patient and be in tune with the Spirit, because whatever his plan is, it's way, way better than yours. All right, let's continue to think about some of the phrases used in this section. Verse 8, wherefore, let them bring forth their strong reasons against the Lord. The cross-reference for strong reasons is Isaiah 41, verse 21, which says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord, bring forth your strong reasons, saith the King of Jacob. In this chapter of Isaiah, idols and idol worshipers are being addressed, and the Lord is telling the idol worshipers to bring their arguments against the Lord and show what their idols can do. In verse 23, in that same chapter, he says, Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed, so like surprised. Basically saying, do something, anything, good or bad, to show us how much power you have. And then he continues in verse 24, Behold ye, meaning the idols, are of nothing and your work of naught. And then finally, my favorite part in verse 29 says, Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. When I read that phrase, wind and confusion, I thought that there could be no more perfect description of the philosophies of men or the ways of the world. Wind blows here and there, never stopping, never still, never resolved. Wind is not steady, always eventually changes directions. Wind makes objects wavering and unsteady. When the Lord uses the phrase, let them bring forth their strong reasons, 
I think I interpret it as being a little bit ironic because he knows that their reasons aren't strong. They aren't supported by anything real. They are falsely upheld by the father of lies, Satan himself. So how can we make sure that we aren't being led by wind and confusion? I'm going to return yet again to my favorite book of Mormon scripture, Helaman 5.12. And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down into the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. So who will we choose to be in this situation? Will we be Ezra Booth and the people who were led away by him? Or will we be Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon and the people whose hearts were soft enough to allow the power of the Spirit to soften their hearts? Our first option is to rely on our own wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The ways of God are, or eventually become, foolishness to those who are not keeping the Spirit with them. They're not renewing their testimony regularly. They're not maintaining a relationship with God that allows them that continual access to personal revelation. Can't you just picture that? The world thinks that we're pretty peculiar, and the world thinks that God and his ways are foolishness. I always tell people, my kids mostly, <laughs> that I'm almost encouraged when people think that we're weird or that our ways are antiquated or that they think that God's ways are unfair because I know that that's how it's supposed to be. God knows, especially as we get closer to the second coming, that the world is going to think that his ways are foolish. And that's what happens when you drift away from the Spirit. Remember, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So it's not just that he probably won't be able to understand them. It says he cannot know them. Because they are spiritually discerned. You need the Spirit in order to understand the things of God. Our second option is to fulfill the great commandment of God to have faith. Everything hinges on that. Previous to the scripture that I just read in Corinthians is a promise given by God to those who will love him. 1 Corinthians verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed unto them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. We cannot imagine all the things that God has prepared for those who love him, for those who trust him, those who follow his command to feed his sheep, to follow the commands he gave to Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith to open their mouths in proclaiming the gospel. When we come in contact with people who want to argue with us, criticize the church, or criticize us for believing in the church, I hope we all remember the voice of the Lord 
coming to the Nephites and Lamanites in the Book of Mormon. And it came to pass that when they heard this voice, and beheld that it was not a voice of thunder, neither was it a voice of great tumultuous noise. But behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness, as if it had been a whisper, and it did pierce even to the very soul. When we are attempting to gather others to the Lord, all of our bluster and self-righteousness cannot even begin to compare to the effect of sincere and righteous emulation of the perfect mildness, meekness, humility, patience, and love of the Savior as we bear pure testimony of the truth. Doctrine and Covenants 8435 The word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light unto every man that cometh into the world, and the spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit. Because of that, there is hope for every person on the earth who has lost their way, and your only job is to be faithful and open your mouth as you are directed by the Spirit. If we do that, I have absolutely no doubt that currently unimaginable miracles in the lives of the people that you love can happen. Moroni 7.27 Wherefore, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased because Christ hath ascended into heaven and hath sat down on the right hand of God to claim of the Father his rights of mercy which he hath upon the children of men? For he hath answered the ends of the law, and he claimeth all those who have faith in him, and they who have faith in him will cleave unto every good thing. Wherefore he advocateth the cause of the children of men, and he dwelleth eternally in the heavens. And because he hath done this, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. Have miracles ceased? Is the possibility of miracles for you or your loved ones, is that gone? I bear my testimony that they have not. That no one you could list is out of the reach of the Savior. And that angels are here among us to minister not only to you, but to those who you love to those he loves, he loves more than you love, who are lost. To quote the song, Dear to the Heart of the Shepherd, he is earnestly calling, tenderly pleading today, will you not seek for my lost ones, off from my shelter astray? Green are the pastures inviting, sweet are the waters and still. Lord, we will answer thee gladly. Yes, blessed Master, we will. Make us thy true under-shepherds. Give us a love that is deep. Send us out into the desert, seeking thy wandering sheep. Out in the desert they wander, hungry and helpless and cold. But off to the rescue he hastens, bringing them back to the fold. He has a plan. And all we need to do is trust him, be faithful, and be willing to open our mouths. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.